1: I mean, no one plans to get sick, and yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19, and somehow, I'm still here. I also survived our stupid, broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together. Because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. A quick reminder before we get started. If you like the show, I hope you do, and you're on Apple Podcasts, consider leaving me a review, a rating, something nice maybe, or don't. Up to you. On the show today, here live at Offscript Media Studios, is my dear friend, Rebecca Cherry. We met about 20 years ago through this niche within a niche market called Young Adult Cancer Survivor professional musician composers. Figure that one out. Rebecca is incomparably talented. She's a singer, songwriter, model, entrepreneur, internationally acclaimed violinist. She's performed with Adele, Beyonce, Common, Jay-Z, the Jonas Brothers. She's been on Letterman, Conan, Fallon, Kimmel. She was at the MTV Music Awards and the Grammys. She's even performed at Carnegie Hall. And if that's not enough, she's a single mom raising a beautiful daughter named Ara, who's in the other room as we tape this. She's phenomenal. What Rebecca has chosen to do with the life she's been given is not just inspirational, it's the embodiment of what it means to get busy living. I adore her. She's incredible. Please enjoy our conversation. Rebecca Cherry. A, I'm staring at you. You're live in person. You're right here in front of me. How novel. Welcome to Out of Patience.
2: Thank you so much, Matthew. It's so great to be here with you today, like actually be with you in person.
1: Well, there's, as cancer survivors, like there's to be with you is good to be anywhere. (laughs) It's a good day to be anywhere, but especially as we're hopefully now new normaling ourselves out of this pandemic to physically see you.
2: Yeah, it's really great um, to be able to sit across from somebody and actually look in their into their actual eyes, and um, not through a Zoom session or Facetime, and actually, you know, be with somebody. So it's really exciting to be able to do this now and 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 see some light in the future.
1: Do you think the kids are going to call the Zoom in real life? <laughs>
2: Well, um, my daughter definitely, you know, knows the difference between zoom and, uh, and, and real life. But I would say that, yes, they, they say, let's get on a zoom. Yep. Yeah. So that's become a thing now. So so
1: zoom is the new clinics for tissues, right? It's just, no matter what video it is, it's a zoom.
2: Yeah. You're going to get on a zoom. Well, no, they also say like, let's get on a FaceTime. So oh, they, they okay. do know the difference, but right. you know, I, I would say that depending on what kind of phone you have and what you do, then they, they could be a little interchangeable, but I, I do think that it, it's great that it's become like a thing now that you go in zoom
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, everyone like being in the room when they name this company like let's call it video place let's call it stare at each other no let's call it zoom
2: yeah i don't know names are funny things and maybe they were thinking zoom room um right you know who knows where they came up with it it is catchy i don't know what it has to do with video at nothing, all nothing at but all. um it seems to have worked Um, you know, so we'll, we'll stick with it.
1: So we were talking before the show, I asked you how many years has it been since your diagnosis and you had to look it up. And I think that's a good problem to have. How do you feel about that?
2: It is a good problem to have. Of course, I know exactly the date that it happened, but I had to like really go and check to make sure that I had the counting correct because I, I was a little startled myself when I was like, oh my God, it's been that many years already. Can I tell them how many years it's been? So my first diagnosis was 19 years ago. And I was like, oh, my God, I was alive then.
1: You <laughs> know, first and foremost, what was 19 years ago? What is that like?
2: Oh, my God. Well, 19 years ago, I was in my early 20s and um, I had literally just moved to New York and it, had, it was right after nine eleven that I was diagnosed about six months later. So it was a very, you could say, uh, exciting time for me in New York.
1: Wait, where were you coming from?
2: I had been in Baltimore before that. I had gone to school there. I was living there for several years afterwards. And um, I had just picked a date, August 1st, 2000, uh, 2000 what year was that? 2001. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I said, it's it's time to move to New York. And so I got an apartment and, you know, drove the three and a half hours from Baltimore and moved into my closet shoebox apartment on the Upper East Side. And then literally six weeks later, nine eleven happened and... And um, and then, you know, like I said, a half a year after that, I was diagnosed with cancer.
1: Yeah. So all good things. What a great year for everyone.
2: (laughs) It was tumultuous. Yes.
1: (laughs) So you had a cancer that I think when I first heard the term, it didn't sound like cancer, right?
2: Yeah. You know, melanoma. That weird cancer that people get that nobody knows really what it is and what it looks like. It sounds like a
1: candle scent. (laughs) It doesn't sound like anything dangerous, (laughs) right?
2: Sounds like a cleaning solution. Yes, the
1: new melanoma scented candles.
2: Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that a lot of people even now still don't even really know what it is. When they hear the name, they're like, what's that? Um, yeah. You know, if you say skin cancer, they understand that. Um, the, find, the thing that I find really interesting is most people don't know how many different kinds of skin cancer that there are. And the way that I had to find out, hence because of the period time period it was i went to the library
1: the what i'm sorry wait what (laughs) no
2: the library look it up kids yeah so back in the day you actually had to go to a library and take books out and read them
1: i love this gen x condescending intentions (laughs) dear millennials and gen zers listening to my show we really love you
2: yeah. So I used to love the library and I would spend lots of time there. So of course it was the obvious thing to do is that I went straight to the library and I think I sat there for about eight hours and poured over every single book that I could find on cancer and skin cancer until I had basically either cried too much or I was too tired. I checked out a bunch of books, went home. And after that, I I really just had to quickly just deal with it because I was scheduled for surgery like two days later. So, you know, they don't wait around (laughs) with these kinds of things. So um,
1: wait, what was how did you know what was on your body and where?
2: Well, it was a fluke. I had not been feeling well for about a year plus and had had all these mysterious illnesses. There's our first siren.
1: Yep. As promised listeners, the Manhattan background (laughs) is a character on this recording.
2: Yeah. So for almost two years, I had been, and maybe even more, been having like, What They they would say, oh, you have an infection. We can't figure out what it is. I was having fevers and very strange uh, illness signs that my blood cell counts were off, of course. And they would say, we just don't know what – we don't understand what this is. We don't know. Why do your blood cell counts look like this? We should – you know, you must have done something because um, yeah, it's your fault. Right. Are you stressed out? Are you eating? OK, what did you take? What are you doing? Um, it must be your lifestyle, you know, and I was laughing. I was like, well, blaming
1: the patient is always solid medical behavior Mm -hmm. practice.
2: Yes. I've been blamed for lots of things medically, which is fascinating. I won't get into all of them on the podcast, but yeah. So there was a lot of like blaming and shaming going on that like, maybe I had done something to deserve the, the repeated illnesses that I was uh, having and the, um, the issues that I was having, uh, that I couldn't explain and my deteriorating health that I couldn't explain.
1: Did any of them eventually like grow an empathy spine and be nice to you and say, let's figure out what this is together? No,
2: no. What had happened actually is that I randomly just went, I was new in New York. I went, I went to the derm, a dermatologist that was recommended to me. And I went for a routine checkup because I had always gone. Um, my parents were advocates of dermatologists and they always said, you know, we got to go every year and get checked and, uh, check out everything. And so I would do that. And I had always been healthy and I saw this dermatologist and she said, you know, everything looks fine, but I'm going to take off five or six moles, because I suspect that later on they're going to be an issue. It was right before Christmas. I remember that. And so I know it's celebrate big Christmas, but she said, you know, have a great holiday you probably won't hear from me. Everything will be fine. Just go enjoy yourself. And my friends came to visit that week and they came, uh now they have three kids, but at the time they were they were single and they came to visit me for the whole week and we had a great time. And literally two hours after they left, um, I got a call from the doctors.
1: Dom dum, dum
2: Yeah, and it's crazy. I can still remember the day. I can still remember where I was standing. You know, it's it's funny that you wish that the really exciting happy moments in your life you can somehow remember all these things but for some reason it's always the really traumatic events that stick out somehow even more so it was january 9th (laughs) and i heard the doctor's voice and she said hi rebecca and the first thing she said to me is anyone with you oh dear yeah and I immediately like nerves just like coursed through my body. And I remember like I had this like sinking feeling and there was like a couch behind me. Who
1: are these people? Like everyone's treating you like some kind of like, who cares what you think?
2: Yeah. So she said, is there anyone around? And I said, no. And she goes, where are your parents? And I said, well, they're in Canada. She goes, okay, well, I need you to sit down.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. There was no Zoom back then.
2: No, there was no Zoom. And no FaceTime. No FaceTime. And it was the end of the day, you know, she had called me, it was like around six o'clock. It was probably like the call she didn't want to make and she made it at the end of her day. And yeah, so she told me that I had cancer and she said, I need you to come in as soon as possible. And I remember I was performing uh, that week and I had a bunch of rehearsals like over the next few days and I went to work. And I told my contractor, I was playing an orchestra and I told him what was going on. And they were like, are you sure you want to come to work? Are you okay? And I said, no, I need to do this because I need to be distracted right yes. now and pretend that life is normal. And it was, it was really a very intense period. Um, and I had the surgery and then I, I had to have a second surgery because they didn't get it all the first time. And then we kind of went from there. And it, it didn't all go away the very the, oh, that two times. So
1: I can resonate with the story about, oh, the phone rang and I've told the story before. But in brief, I went for an MRI in December 95 and with my mom, she, she drove me there and we went to the diner after we were done just to get some lunch and to timestamp this for the listeners. We got back to the house because I was still living at home. And the answering machine was blanking within two hours of that. We knew that that was the radiology clinic leaving us a message because no cell phones, no Zoom, no Internet. And of course, we played the message and they said, please come back to the hospital. So when you just said that, I hearken back that no one wants that beeping answering machine.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's I rarely hear another story, even even now with cell phones. You know, it's typically uh, it's just how it is. There's no good way to uh, tell somebody bad news. Right. Unfortunately. And, And of course, it's wonderful when a doctor can tell you in person and they can support and they're really supportive and they can be there with you and you have family members, you know, that wasn't my story though. The happy ending is that through all these years, I've, I'm, I'm still healthy now and I've gone through other health things though. um, I, I can happily say that, this past year and a half, I've been probably healthier than I've been in a really long time. So
1: most of no people ever (laughs) <laughs> Hashtag pandemic fun.
2: Except for people like us who were so extremely careful and still and managed to not get
1: COVID. But you're still here 19 years later. Yes. I think I remember you telling me once that, you know, you keep having follow ups and for years and years Absolutely. and years. And they find things that may or may not be dangerous, but this idea of like scanxiety, right? Oh, my
2: God. Yeah. And. I got my first one year pass on like having all of my sonograms and ultrasounds and every and mammograms. And I got to go for a whole year, you know, and I cried with the doctor and the radiologist when she told me that out of joy, because I had, I'm, I'm like getting emotional now because that was the first time in my 19 years that I had been given a pass to go an entire year. So to be given that kind of hope that like maybe now going into a time in my life where most people are starting to worry about their health, I actually am my healthiest.
1: Is it fair to conflate that you had gone through this and that changed your behavior to be more mindful of things that you otherwise would have done without that? Like you you went from no more donuts. I'm a cancer person, right? Right. I don't think you ate a lot of donuts, anyway. But
2: it was not donuts. Um, but I, I definitely have a lot to say about that. So, over the last years, I would say that I got very curious about the mind body relationship, and I started to really look at my own mindset, how I was talking to myself, what kind of internal dialogue that was going on, and I really I started to listen to what was being said about, about this in the world. And I started to do a lot of research on myself and found that the more I focused on having a really healthy mind and really bolstering my inner self, And doing things, not just fitness and eating well and having a good lifestyle, but really taking care of my not just, I would say, mental health, but like actually training my brain Mm -hmm. um, and retraining my brain to focus on the present, to worry less and to really free myself up and 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 really be regimented in a way with my self-talk, my health improved. And now science is coming out to show this. you were ahead of your time. I don't know if I was ahead of my time, but I got I got
1: interested and curious. I, and And you would not have pursued that behavior change had you not had yourself scared shitless from cancer?
2: I think that it definitely helped that I'd had cancer and a myriad of other health problems that I started to look at what the common denominator was, and it was me. Because I've had health things my entire life since I was young, I saw that, um, you know, on on the, I guess you could say more on the holistic side of, of things when I was working with Chinese traditional doctors and, uh, you know, homeopathics and naturopaths, you know, they talk a lot about, and Chinese medicine, if you look back in Eastern traditions, there's this whole connection. It's been there for thousands and thousands of years. But, you know, in Western medicine, we, we've we spent a lot of time negating these traditions. But when I really started to look at it, I saw that there really were connections, Um, not just for me, but I could see patterns with people in their health and, and how they were living. And I think I just really had a passion to live. (laughs) And I want to live as as well as possible. And that really, some of that also got heightened when I had a child because now that whole thing, yeah, because now all of a sudden it's like, well, I want to live as long as possible and be healthy for my family. It's not just me anymore. So a lot of things shifted around that time because also you could say I was bankrupt, in all the things I had tried, and they weren't working. So I was like, I'm ready to try anything now. If it means that I have the opportunity to live, you know, freely and have a great healthy life in the second half of my life, then I'm going for it. And and it's been working.
1: Back with our guest after the break. So I can't help but notice you mentioned that you are a mom.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I am a mom. (laughs) I
1: love the stories. I mean, we like happy endings when positive things can come up bad things. What was it like for you to reconcile your desire for motherhood against the risk of you either maybe not being here to parent your child or passing down genes, whether that's hyperbole or myth or fact to a child against the other backdrop of do I really want to raise a child in a world with cancer? I've heard all those things. We're both parents of young children now. What was your thought going through this process?
2: Wow. Um you know it crossed my mind definitely at times um like would I be sick again and what would that be like also because at the moment I am a single parent. So I've been raising my daughter on my own. And, you know, so there's a lot more for me to have at stake. It definitely wasn't something that was going to stop me. I think it just made me realize that like, I have a lot of responsibility to take on in terms of who I get to be in the world. And not just like as a career or a person doing great things in the world, but like, who am I getting to be for myself that I'm going to show up and live my life every day? Like today is the day. Um, because in the end, we really don't know how much time we're going to have, you know, we, we, we don't know. So I decided that, um, I'm going to live my life the best way I can every day. And do everything in my power to be healthy and mitigate the risk of anything, you know, negative happening to me in my life, whether it's, you know, health wise or accidents or whatever. And doesn't mean I'm not having fun, but um, I'm definitely uh, thinking about it. And I can't stop things from happening either. So I'm definitely in a place where I just, I'm not going to worry about what could happen. I'm focused a lot more on what's happening right now.
1: Have you ever heard the expression, realizing that you have no control over something gives you control over that nothing?
2: Well, really, we have almost no control ever. So... um Yes. I, (laughs) I, I'm, I'm laughing because, you know, in my own life, there's those moments where we feel completely out of control. We're having these feelings, right? We're out of control. I feel out of control. What does that look like? Really? Anyways, it just means that we thought we had control over something and we really don't. And it's making us feel worried or anxious or whatever that is. But when you can really just let go, And is it
1: that easy though? Is it, does it take practice? It takes conscious intent.
2: Well, Matthew, tell me, how is it for you?
1: (laughs) Oh, I hate everything and everyone. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't. I, for me, I mean, I I am of the belief that if shit's going to happen, shit's going to happen and you can only prevent so much or reduce your risk for so much.
2: Right. And do you find it easy to let go of control when, or like let go when you're feeling like you can't or you're having trouble with something?
1: I've learned as a parent and as a husband <laughs> and as a son and a brother that selective release of control can come in very handy. Pick your battles.
2: Absolutely. My father always said that to me. Um, and I really appreciate that. And there is something really wonderful to just letting, like really just letting things be free and know that like, I don't know, I'll be a little spiritual here and just say that like, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, the universe has our back. So if things aren't working out, it's just not supposed to be that. And, you know, if you have an intention, then put it forward and, and let's go.
1: So I want to talk about the word survivorship because we're doing this project now that our listeners will find out about soon. Wink, wink, hint, hint <laughs> about the word itself and its origins and what it meant. And in 1986, a group was founded called the national coalition for cancer survivorship. And they declared, they decreed like the hear you hear you scroll that you pull open that you are a cancer survivor from the day you're diagnosed regardless of how long you live. And they didn't tell me that in the 90s. They're like, you'll be alive in five years, then you're a survivor. So they didn't listen to the rules in 86, you know, 20 years later, 15 years later. When did you first hear the word survivorship? And did you consider yourself a cancer survivor? Like when that phone came in, when when that call came in?
2: I definitely didn't think of myself as a survivor when the phone call came in, nor for a very long time. I don't know. I can't speak for other people, but, you know, there was just this world that I survived in, you could say, um, that was me surviving my life every day. And that's really what it was. I wouldn't, it wasn't heroic it wasn't it, um, anything that I could say has the, the badge of honor on it. It was really surviving um, because unless you've gone through something major like this in your life, it changes you instantly and there's no coming back. There's only going forward and there's a healing process that goes with that. And I had never really heard the term survivorship probably until like a decade into this all. And I had gone through so much by then. Nobody talked to me about survivorship. There wasn't even, I told you this when we met, I, like way back, they they were like, well, you can go to this support group, but everybody in there is like in their 70s and 80s. We don't really know what to do with you because either you got to go to the pediatric hospital and you can, you know, talk to some people there or we'll put you in with the geriatrics and I knew one person at the time that had cancer and she had spinal cancer and she actually lived in my building.
1: <laughs> of all the people you had just moved to New York, I know. you're a new person in the city and in your building is a peer.
2: Yeah. And actually somebody who had been, you know, going through cancer treatments for a long time and her life sentence was not going to be long. You know, and I just remember how brave she was talking about it. And, you know, she was just somebody that I could talk to. And in some ways, I felt a little guilty because I knew that, like, the type of cancer I had, you know, wasn't potentially going to kill me at that point. Though she knew that, you know, there wasn't much they could do, that one day she would be paralyzed and that would be the start of the end. But she gave me a lot of courage. And I remember the day I found out she was sitting outside on our stoop and I I came outside and I was crying and, and I told her what was going on and she just gave me a big hug. And that was really when we started talking and I made a friend that day.
1: And we met like years after your diagnosis, but just at the onset, you mentioned like either kids or old people that we were trying to end that we were trying to create a middle group that was kids, not kids not old people, and then old people.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and it was much needed because we also didn't have social media and all these things that other people have now to connect themselves to each other. So it was really hard to find people. Then there was definitely nobody in my music
1: community. So going right there to the music, you are an award-winning violinist musician. You sing, you do these amazing music videos. You are like an Instagram champion. I've been following (laughs) you. I mean, we're both like pre-internet cancer people. So we have an appreciation for sharing stories done right on social media. My question to you is, can you pinpoint any one particular piece that you've either composed or performed that means more to you than anything else as someone who's gone through what you've been through and has this spiritual appreciation for life?
2: Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's many pieces that I I can I can say that I've performed uh, that have a lot of emotional pull for me, but one in particular is the Vocalise by Rachmaninoff. It's such a hopeful piece of music, and for me, every time I play it or perform it, it just gives me hope for the future. And it, it's a love song with no words. So that he wrote and, and to me, it's, it's a love song to people. And as someone who's gone through cancer and is a musician, my goal in life really is to give people the opportunity to heal themselves and to have some solace and, and some freedom from what it is that they're dealing with, whether it's health or uh, personal or, you know, all the myriad of things that we deal with as human beings. So, you know, my gift to the world is to be able to share that in my music. and And that's what I love doing every day. It's my passion.
1: Well, let's have a listen. So as of this taping, we're slowly coming out of the pandemic. We're somehow still here, despite all the crap that we've been through, including raising children, (laughs) which is its own thing to be surviving past. What can we look forward to in your life? You've been through so much. You have a message to the world about fortitude and perseverance and understanding yourself and your inner perspective. What can we learn about you?
2: Well, a lot is happening right now. You know, it's it's been a very unique year. Um, I've gotten the opportunity to really look at what's important to me, make some changes in my life, and really get connected to who I am as an artist, a musician, and an entrepreneur. And I'm embarking on some artist development now and some new areas of music. I'm meeting a lot of new people now that I wouldn't have met other than because I met people during the pandemic because of different things I was doing that, um, had me forge some really amazing relationships. And because of that now I'm able to start to work on getting my passion projects and my, and, and really what's important to me about music out into the world. Um, and so you can look forward to seeing a lot more of me. I think, um, out, really out with people. I'm literally out, literally out with people. But you know, my, my, my goals in the next you know, few years is that people are going to really know who I am.
1: Where can listeners learn more about you?
2: So the best place to actually find out everything about what I'm up to is on Instagram and you can find me at Rebecca cherry. Hey, that's your name. That is my name. I know. Imagine that
1: personal branding,
2: Absolutely. So thank you so much, Matthew, for having me on your show.
1: It has been a pleasure to physically see you I know. and to have you on the show. Take care.
2: Take care. Thank you.
1: That's all for today, folks. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Brianna Seeley, Jen Oranjeff,
0: and Andrew McDowell. It is mixed and edited by Brianna Seeley. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up
1: at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.